The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So verses 17 through 19 of Psalm 103, which is our psalm for the day. It's an interesting coincidence that, um, as I said, I'm doing these a week in advance. And so um, I just received a friend of mine who lives in Uganda, actually, sent me this psalm last night uh, as something to read over Will in the hospital. She proclaimed these things over him. And I can't tell you how much it meant when it popped up in the lessons for this week, the week after Easter. And so th this was a particularly meaningful psalm for me today. And I'm uh, excited to be able to proclaim it today. And to, to read that psalm brought balm and uh, joy to, to my soul today. And so I'm excited about that. And so Suzanne is, is going to be, in just a few minutes, she'll be reading that psalm in the hospital room. Our son Pelham, for the first time, is going over to see his brother. And so I told Suzanne I wanted her to read that uh, Psalm 103, as well as the high priestly blessing from number 6, 24 to 26, over him because another friend sent that. And so when, when you send scriptures, I'm going to be reading them over Will and proclaiming them over him, just so you'll know. So anybody who, who, who has a scripture that they want us to read over uh, Will, uh, know that that's going to happen. If you send it to us, we will be reading that over him. So here we stand. We're two days post-resurrection, and for, the, for this week, it's all just about that. And so in Isaiah's passage today, the Isaiah passage is Isaiah 30, verses 18 to 21, and, and it's a proclamation of Isaiah to a people who, have, who are wayward and have gone astray. And it's a promise to them that the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for he's a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And truly, indeed, blessed are all those who wait for the Lord, because we will find our satisfaction in him. And waiting has never been something I was very good at. Um, I've been asked to do a good bit of it in my ministry years, um, more so than I did before that, I think. And, and I, I feel like I've spent much of the last 24 years now waiting. And even before that, really, I was waiting to go to seminary, waiting for an opportunity to go into ministry. And, and it was a long time. And so these things... Sometimes we do have to wait, but God shows up whenever His timing is exactly right. But it's His desire, Isaiah says, to be gracious and merciful to us. He is a God of justice, but He's a God of mercy. And so those things are truly important that we wait on Him for these things. And He said, For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. The promise is, is that even though the city has been desolate and, and you're an exile people now in Babylon, people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem, and you'll weep no more. He'll be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as He hears it, He answers you. And it feels like sometimes that's not true, right? <clears throat> it, it feels like that we have cried out and cried out and cried out, and where's the Lord? But there's blessedness in waiting. It's not just blessed in the response, it's blessed in the waiting in some ways, because there are times when we get you know, distant from the Lord. We get busy about life. We get busy about everything else. We begin to take everything for granted, and then suddenly our world can be turned upside down, 
and then we wait. We don't get that quick, simple, straightforward answer, and and we wait, and we wait. And it's in that waiting that we continue to cry out to Him. We continue to draw closer to Him, even though we don't know it. His loving kindness is what brings us close to Him because He wants us to have that intimacy of walk with Him that's sometimes only possible when we have to go through great pain in our lives and we can then become close to Him again. He says, Though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. What a blessing. What a blessing to hear and know that you're hearing His voice and that He's behind you. He's walking along with you, guiding you all the way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's a comfort to know His presence And I've been in so many situations with other people when their loved ones were in bad situations and and we walked through that journey. Sometimes there were miracles, sometimes there were not. None of us gets out of this thing alive. And so sometimes it's a lonely, difficult path. Sometimes there's joy at the end, but along the way there are dark periods. And so if you're going through a dark period now, I highly encourage you to remain in prayer, to remain strong in your faith, knowing that your God hears you and your God sees you. The John passage today is John 14, 15 to 31, continuing on from the passage from yesterday. And and Jesus begins with something that we don't really pay much attention to in my mind. We, We talk about it all being faith, but what Jesus says is, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Doing matters, not just believing, but doing matters. And, and then, you know, if you think about it, how would you show love for your parents when you were a kid? You, you would show that you trusted them by doing what they told you to do, even when what you wanted to do conflicted with that. I'm not saying you did it 100% perfectly. I sure did not. But, but to keep his commandments is a way of showing that you accept his lordship over your life, that you trust him and that you love him enough to do that. You You love him because of what he has done for you in the death on the cross. And he says, don't worry about this, about keeping the commandments. Because to keep a commandment, you have to understand the commandment. And when Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, what he did was he he helped them understand the commandments. that, That coveting, adultery, and murder were actually a lot deeper concepts than just physical acts. There's more to it than that. And he says, don't worry about that because I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is preparing them for their departure. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. In a little while the world won't see me, but you will. And because I live, you also will live. There's the promise that that faith in him, the one who lives, means that we also will live. And he said, in that day you'll know I'm in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And that, he says, is when you'll know all these things. 
And if you love him, you'll be loved by the Father in return, and I'll love him and manifest myself to him. And, and he's speaking of that, that sort of love of the Trinity, that, that dance of where one loves the other, and because the one loves the other, then it loves the other, and, and it's just, it just becomes this wonderful circle of love that exalting one means your exaltation. And that's exactly how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live to exalt Jesus in such a way that becomes an exaltation of us as well in the life of the Trinity and in the Father. That, that he is so pleased with your love for Jesus that he loves you in return. And then Judas says, how are you going to do this? How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus doesn't directly answer that, at least not in a way that they could understand at the moment. He said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and the Father will love him. So is this obedience, not just faith, but obedience to Jesus' word is involved in this same thing. We've got to live Christian lives. We've, we've got to let our belief inform and shape our lives as well if we want the Father to love us. And he said, in that case, we'll come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So there's a, a, a relationship established very easily and straightforward there. That if you don't love me, then you don't keep my words. That's the proof of love is whether or not, whether or not you keep Jesus' words is a mark of whether you love him or not. And so it's the one that does, who is loved by the Father and who's makes their home with him. And then he speaks about the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come and teach all things and bring to remembrance all things I've said to you. They're going to go through so much trauma in the next period of time that it's going to be easy to, to forget things. But then the memories will be intensified as time goes on, and they're going to be intensified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, Shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's going to be reason to be afraid. And Jesus is giving a peace that passes all understanding. It's not the peace that your circumstances are okay. It's the peace that in spite of the circumstances, you're okay because you're in the Father and you have eternal life and all things will be well. And he gives them the assurance that, that he is coming back and he says I want you to know these things in advance so that later you're going to believe and then he says I'll talk no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming he has no claim on me but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father rise and let us go from here Jesus is telling him what's happening here he's not blaming the Jews he's not blaming the Romans he says that the ruler of the world is coming and that's not Caesar. It's Satan, the one who has promised him all the kingdoms if you'll only bow down and worship him. And now here, he's going to bow before the Father and do the Father's will. And, and it's that kind of life, that kind of attitude towards all things in life that, that he's calling us to in this very passage about obedience. It's, it's a humbling. It's a laying down of ourself, our pride, our, our reputations, or whatever it is that we have, and we're laying those down in order to follow Him and be obedient to Him. And that's exactly what Peter calls them to, and it's exactly what you see in the early church. He, he 
preaches that sermon and says is that it's this Jesus that God has made both Lord and Christ, the one you crucified. So his proclamation is of Jesus as the only hope, and the peoples immediately were cut to the heart and said, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And can you imagine being a Jew, being there in that place on the day of Pentecost, hearing that mighty rushing wind, seeing the tongues of fire, and being called to that place by what you heard, and then seeing the things that you saw, and hearing the proclamation that you crucified your Christ, and then saying, essentially when they say, what shall we do? They're saying, we believe your message. What in the world can we do now? And then for Peter to stand there and say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Your response would be, absolutely, there's got to be more to it than that. It cannot possibly be that simple to get forgiveness for crucifying Messiah. However, those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter had to hope <laughs> that that was true, right? Peter had to, had to believe that with all his heart because he was the one who betrayed him in accordance with Jesus' prophetic word about what he would indeed do. And so after that, they became one in the way that Jesus prayed that they would become one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers, and all came on every soul, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were continuing the work of Jesus. They were proclaiming him in word and deed, and people gathered around that. They were devoted to these things, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They, they think Jesus is coming back immediately, and so, hey, whatever I've got, you can have, because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, because it's just stuff. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the peoples. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These people bet everything. They pushed all their chips in and said, those are going in the middle of the table. They're going out there. I don't make claim to anything at all. Everything I own, none of it matters to me. It matters that we are all one. It matters that we're all provided for. Because we have Jesus. We have salvation. We found the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field. And we're willing to give up everything in order to possess it. What's your attitude towards salvation? How grateful are you towards Him? Who has done everything for you? Are you willing to put all your chips in, the, in on that or not? He did. <laughs>